0: All right, let's do this. Hey,
1: everybody. Welcome back to the Hunt Harvest Health podcast. Thanks for being here. This is Dr. Hillary. Today, I'm going to do a series that I've been meaning to do for a really long time, um, probably over a year, and... Now I think it's very appropriate for what we have going on in our world. And what's so appropriate about appropriate about it is it's pretty much relative and to everybody right now. Meaning there are over two billion people currently in the war in the world uh, under some sort of quarantine or stay in place. That's two billion. Two billion people. I, for sure, in my lifetime, have never seen anything like this, and I'm probably guaranteeing a lot of you, if you are under the age of 50, you probably haven't seen it either. Um, In the field of medicine, it's quite unprecedented, but it's something that we always talk about, you know, the new pandemic, like the flu, the uh, Spanish flu that came through in the early 1900s, the whole idea of could there be another pandemic that could hit the planet and wipe out that many people? Um, And so we do talk about it in medicine some, but I think that even we're starting to see that the medical systems were not prepared for this and um, how could they be when you're going to have so many people around the world sick at the same time, um, providing medical care for that many critically ill people is probably almost impossible to prepare for. Um, especially based on, you know, a lot of this is run by computer programs and statistical numbers of what could happen. And so what we're seeing now is probably the likes of what nobody could have imagined. (laughs) So I figure, um, because I feel it in my own life and I see it in social media right now. I hear it in my patients' voices, um, I figured it was a good time to do a series on the pillars of health and the pieces of our existence that I feel are really important to address. These are topics that I talk about pretty much every single day, multiple times a day with many patients, and that is how do we become more resilient? Um, What are the things that we need to do in order to balance out our overall health, obviously, but things like our balance out our cardiovascular system, balance out our nervous system, balance out our hormonal system. Um, What are the things that we need to do to uh, mitigate stress in our life? And um, what are the pillars that are essential for kind of the things that we know that can prolong life uh, without medication? So that's a series that I want to work on now. And honestly, I've been getting emails now for two years from people that are asking me, so how do I change my diet? And what do I do to be healthier? And what are the things I should be looking for? And uh, I've just kind of always been like, well, those are such huge questions. Uh, it, and they're, they're all somewhat in context, they can be um, very personal for each person. But now, seeing what we have going on uh, with over 2 billion people, um, one being home, and or now having this thought in their head that I, uh, I need to do something about my health. I need to stay healthy. I need to improve my immune system. Um, or having the fear of what could happen if they were to get sick. Um, because they're watching things on the media, and they're seeing hundreds of people, thousands of people dying in, let's say, Italy, and they're wondering, you know, could that happen here, and the truth is a lot of people on the planet, especially in westernized countries, they have a lot of comorbidities, so as you get older and or you're unhealthy, um, again, these things can happen in young people, and they happen a lot. Actually, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, um, autoimmune conditions, which are huge group of people that don't have great immunity, um, cancer patients. Uh, you know, you name it. There's a lot of different things that can be. Go. <laughs> oh. oh, sorry. So we are um, all quarantined, which means my kids are here. Thanks, P. Yeah. What are you guys going to do, go for a walk? Yeah, okay. Um. So we are all quarantined together. Um. And luckily we have a lot of friends in the neighborhood, so the girls, they go outside and they go for walks because today we're having a beautiful day. It snowed the last two days, but... Um, so anyways, sorry for the interruption, as many of you are used to now in your life working from home as well. Um, so just getting back to the fact that people are just asking the bigger question now. I think what we've seen too is a huge run on supplements and vitamins, vitamin C and vitamin D, elderberry. Um, one day it's good to take elderberry, the next day it's not good to take elderberry because it causes cytokine storm. Uh you know, is vitamin C, how much vitamin C should I take? Should I be hoarding? Uh, Should I, should I be hoarding, you know, vitamin C and all these things in my life and just like toilet paper, like people are, are really now like just kind of going crazy and getting all that stuff because as we can see, our lives are very dependent on other people. And even our immune systems and um, how we portray ourselves, to you know, we think we need pills and um, we need to take all this stuff, and that's what's going to keep us healthy. I think that's important. Supplements are important in some cases. Um, there are certain supplements I take every day that I absolutely love, and in this series, I will go through those supplements with you. But I think the most important umbrella topic when it comes to what is going on right now is dealing with stress and fear. And I feel it in myself. Like by the end of the day, I've been home all day and it's awesome. I have to say, I really enjoy working from home. I I'm fine with my kids being around because they're a little older now. They're both wonderful girls and they listen and we have lots of projects going on all the time and I make sure I have crafts for them. Um, but I do have days where I'm like, Oh, this is too much, right? And sometimes being home is a distraction because I'd rather be like mopping the floor than doing my work. But I really have enjoyed being here. And a big piece of that for me, I've come to realize, is it's kind of slowed me down. I tend to be very driven, as anyone who listens to this podcast might know that about me. I think a lot, I have a lot of ideas. It doesn't mean all of them come to fruition. Um, I feel like I'm constantly harassing Ryan to have a new thing and do a new thing and how I have a new idea every second. I know he gets a little frustrated with me, but at least when I go to work, you know, and my patients kind of take my mind off of all that and I'm able to really focus. And, um, but I do have a lot of things I'd like to accomplish in my life and I'd like to share, um, and I want to give back. So that's kind of constantly on my mind. But in a lot of ways, it's very stressful for me. I feel like also as I get older, it gets more exhausting for me to kind of have that hamster wheel going in my head with the millions of ideas that I would like to do, but I don't have time to do. And I think there's kind of been this culture, well, I don't kind of think, I, I know there has been. And in anything where you want to be successful, it takes a lot of hard work. There's, there's no doubt that the social media culture has just changed the way we see success. Um, when I was younger, and probably when most of you were younger, you know, if you wanted to be a doctor, if you wanted to be the best archer in the world, if you wanted to be an Olympic athlete, if you wanted to be um, a great parent, if you wanted to be, you know, an astronaut these things took lots of years and lots of school and lots of hardship and lots of training and lots of suffering. And Ryan and I talk about that on the podcast here and there about suffering and how it's good for you and you need it. And, and we know and I know that it's good for your immune system. It's good for your nervous system to have some positive stress. And I'll relate that to a study that I'll talk about here in a little bit. But I think, think that now because we are on all the time, we are pushing ourselves even harder, that we expect out of ourselves 24-7 performance. And if we're not doing that, then we feel guilty. There's another word, guilt. Um, Fear and guilt, they kind of go hand in hand. And I will tell you that I am as guilty in air quotes, is anybody out there when it comes to giving myself a break? Um, so I think what this has done for me, uh, this quarantine is doing for me, is making me really kind of titrate and focus down what's important and what I should be spending my time on and what I should be thinking about. So I had a birthday this week. I turned 47. That's hard for me to say because, geez, 47 seems so old. But now that I'm 47, it doesn't seem that old. <laughs> but I had a birthday this week, and here I am in quarantine. And um, my day was kind of the same. I didn't. We didn't have any fancy party. Obviously, didn't have any friends over. Um, Ryan was actually under the weather a little bit. No coronavirus. Just um, under the weather and I'm sure his New Zealand trip getting canceled didn't help. He wasn't feeling very happy about that, but I just had a normal day, you know, and uh, I think that it's it's making me realize how much time we spend outside of our homes and outside of ourselves in non-reflection. So I think this time also, Um, I used to love to read books. I still love to read books, but Again, the excuses of I don't always have enough time, but I have a few favorites that when I'm in this place of self-reflection, um, what do I what do I do next? Uh, how do I help people, and how do I help people with this question? Like this topic that I'm talking about right now is kind of the topic of, okay, so what do we do now? So where do we go now? And and how do we um, how do we get over this? And move on, um, and what I would like to say is, it's not about getting on with it and moving on. I think it's actually a time for reflection, and it's a, it's maybe a, a transition in the entire planet's trajectory here, um, about what's important. So I have this book that I love called Letting Go. It's by David Hawkins. He's an MD PhD, um, the Pathway of Surrender, and he talks in this book about a bunch of different emotions. And he starts with the negative emotions and the whole idea of um, anger, fear, loss, rejection, guilt, all those, and how as humans, that's where we tend to really focus a lot of our energy. And then he brings it into things like love and um, giving and sharing and transforming yourself and letting go. Letting go of all the misconceptions that you have about yourself, that you have about others, um, all the guilt you carry throughout your life for God knows what, um, and the fear that he talks a lot about transforming fear into love. And I, I really love that. So I wanted to just read a few things that he has in here about fear and about guilt and see if any of this resonates with you. Um, Each of us has within us a certain reservoir of suppressed and repressed fear. This quantity of fear spills into all areas of our life, colors all of our experience, decreases our joy in life, and reflects itself in the musculature of the face so as to affect our physical appearance, our physical strength, and the condition of health in all the organs in the body. Sustained and chronic fear gradually suppresses the body's immune system. With muscle testing, we can instantly demonstrate that a fearful thought causes a major reduction in muscle power and deranges the energy flow down the body's energy meridians to the body's vital organs. Although we know that it is totally damaging to our relationships, health, and happiness, we still hang on to fear. Why is that? We have the unconscious fantasy that fear is keeping us alive. This is because fear is associated with our whole set of survival mechanisms. We have the idea that if we were to let go of fear, our main defense mechanism, we would become vulnerable in some way. In reality, the truth is just the opposite. Fear is itself, fear is what blinds us to the real dangers of life. In fact, fear itself is the greatest danger that the human body faces. It is fear and guilt that bring about disease and failure in every area of our lives. And so the next question, the next sentence says, we could take the same protective actions out of love rather than out of fear. And he gives a few examples. Can we not care for our bodies because we appreciate and value them rather than out of fear of disease and dying? Can we not be of service to others in our life out of love rather than out of fear of losing them? Can we not be polite and courteous to strangers because we care for our fellow human beings rather than because we fear losing their good opinion of us? Can we not do a good job because we care about the quality of our performance and we care about our fellow workers? Can we not perform our job well because we care about the recipients of our services? rather than just the fear of losing our jobs or pursuing our own ambitions? Can we not accomplish more by cooperation rather than by fearful competition? Can we not drive carefully because we have a high regard for ourselves and care for our welfare and those who love us, rather than because we fear an accident? On a spiritual level, isn't it more effective if, out of compassion and identification with our fellow human beings, We care for them rather than trying to love them out of fear of God's punishment if we don't. Pretty powerful stuff. And I pose the question, you know, how many things in your life are controlled by fear? I would say that it's a large portion of a lot of people's lives and I am 100% guilty. You know, I think about that. I think about right right now is the perfect opportunity to listen to these things and think about it. So now we have been told there is a virus out there that is dangerous. Not only that, that it kills people that we might love, which includes our parents, our grandparents, our elders, people we might hold in high regard. Um, It tells us that we need to stay away from each other. We need to be fearful of each other and stay six feet apart. Um, we need to make sure that we aren't, you know, coughing and we don't have this and we aren't touching this and we need to make sure we wash our hands consistently to the point like last week, my hands were like bleeding and cracking from washing them so much. Um, so there's a lot of fear like injected into all these things. I'm not saying like any of that per se isn't right. Like if this is a virus that spreads through respiratory droplets, which it is, you know, and someone sneezes, you probably don't want to be in in that way. If it stays on surfaces, great. You know, you probably want to be cleaning and you definitely want to be washing your hands. That's obvious hygiene. But the truth is, is that all of these statements and all of these signs you see everywhere and every time you go somewhere and every time you listen to the news It's all about fear. And I will tell you right now, the media is based in fear. If you want to be scared out of your mind, just watch the news. And what I see in patients who do that, patients who are scared of obviously coronavirus and they're scared of Trump and they're scared of Obama and they're scared of, um, I don't know, the bad weather, the storm that's coming and they're scared of the hurricane and they're scared of all these like things. And I mean, they could be scared of the hurricane and they live in like Nebraska. It's just the fear that the media wants you to have is actually very real because it keeps you coming back for more because they know that's how we're built. We're built to be scared. And that fear drives us To continue to consume. Consume more stuff, buy more stuff, have this, have that, because you should be scared because at some point you won't have it. And um, we see that going on right now with the hoarding and people buying more than they need. And then, gosh, I watched some video yesterday of a poor girl with four kids who couldn't even buy diapers. She was crying, you know, and it went viral, and I'm not quite sure what happened. Hopefully, she got some diapers but this goes to show you how fear is rampant not only in our interpersonal systems it's rampant in our in our society and it's rampant in the world um and it's part of the culture of pretty much every single establishment that we have set uh, politics religion um uh <laughs> you know uh, the hierarchy of business systems uh racism like you just name it like fear all the fear of all these things is rampant so it's really hard to get away from and um, now that we're all secluded from each other so here I am talking to you from my computer um, and you're hearing this on a podcast by yourself either in your car or at home and you're with just your family is that um, one you start to think like is the world ever going to be able to go back to normal? Are we ever going to f- trust other people? Am I ever going to be okay with hugging a person, or giving them a handshake, or not being afraid now that I am going to crack, um, you know, get some virus or disorder or disease that could possibly kill me? Um, and what I'd like to say to that is that infectious disease is everywhere. There is all kinds of things people catch from each other and the world goes on and people shake hands and people hug each other. People have sex. People do all kinds of things and things are spread. So this coronavirus is nothing new. And as far as a communicable, um, you know, disease that's going on right now, it's spreading like crazy, partially because I think the, um, because a lot of people get it and they don't know they have it for quite a while so they can be vectors for spread. Um, and so I think that's the scary thing. But the truth be told is that infectious disease is all around us and it's going on all the time. So to be fearful of this one thing is kind of silly. I mean, uh, again, um, if you were thinking about that, then you would never leave your house ever, even in a non-quarantined time. So anyways, Enough of my lecture on fear, but I think it's an important thing to reflect on. And I'll get to my point in a minute about why that is. I think the second the second emotion that I really wanted to focus on with fear is guilt. Um, you know, Dr. Hawkins talks a lot about guilt. And he talks about guilt being being very tied into fear. And that a lot of us, even as young children we learn about guilt. Um, and we are very hard on ourselves, in a lot of cases, for no reason. But at some point, we got guilted, or at some point, we were told we had done something wrong. And so we internalize those feelings. And um, I think right now too, what comes along with the fear is this idea of guilt. And so if you get coronavirus, you get spread coronavirus to someone else. And how guilty are you going to feel if you are the reason that person on the plane that had it and you spread it to everybody else? And so um, I think we all are carrying around a lot of guilt as well that holds us back and probably drives us in some sort, right? It's kind of taking our mind off of things. It's always making us busy. It's always making us having to do something outside of ourselves because if we were to sit down and deal with ourselves and deal deal with our fear and, uh, think about why that hamster's on the wheel, a lot of it might come back to that. We, we have a lot of guilt about who we are and what we're not doing in our life and who we didn't become. Um, or that we should just be doing more, 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 more. And guilt is, guilt is also not a very um, great emotion to have because it's not productive. So that being said, um, I just wanted to read one other thing from here. Um, let's see from guilt. Let's see. He has a pretty f- couple strong things in here when he talks about guilt. Um, one particular form of fear is what we call guilt. Guilt is always associated with a feeling of wrongness and potential punishment, either real or in fantasy. If punishment is not forthcoming in the external world, it expresses itself as self punishment on an emotional level. Guilt accompanies all of the negative emotions and thus. Where there is fear, there is guilt. If you think a guilty thought and have somebody test your muscle strength, you will see that the muscle instantly goes weak. Your cerebral hemisphere has become desynchronized and all your energy meridians are thrown out of balance. Nature, therefore, says that guilt is destructive. If guilt is so destructive, then why are there such... Pans of praise allotted to it. Why do so-called experts view guilt as beneficial? For example, a psychiatrist wrote a magazine article in Praise of Guilt, declaring guilt is good for you. He then qualified the statement with appropriate guilt. Let's look at what guilt is really all about and see if we agree or not. And he goes through guilt, and then one sentence I underlined was, Physical disease is unlikely to exist without guilt. And guilt is a denial of our inner intrinsic innocence. So what he's saying is basically when we're very young, we something like we cross the street. We're so innocent, we don't realize there's cars that go across the street. We just know that we want to cross the street. So when we cross the street and we get in trouble for it, we suddenly learn that that innocence is something that we shouldn't do. And if we do something wrong, we... We feel that feel of guilt, like, oh, I did something wrong. Oh, I got in trouble. Oh, you're mad at me. Oh, you don't love me, whatever it is. And so we start very young with learning how to incorporate guilt. And I will say, having been in medicine and dealing, especially with women and men, and the self-abuse that we can take, we can put on ourselves through entire lifetimes, um, especially when it comes to things like, uh, what we need in our life, um, desires that we have, uh, wanting to be a certain way and not being like that, or um, I don't know, addiction and eating disorders and our relationship with other people in our life. And sometimes a lot of people have issues because they have a lot of guilt from something and uh, we have to work through that. And so I just, I guess the whole point of this is not to get too whacked out, but when I see what's going on right now, we are in a state of chaos and fear. We are being told to isolate and stay away from each other. And there's something out there that you can't see that could possibly harm you and harm people you love. And that is really, really scary. So we are doing, as far as like, public health goes, let's not even talk about the emotional ramifications of this, but as far as public health goes, we are doing exactly what we need to be doing to stop the curve, to lower the curve, to help people not become infected with this so that potentially we can all go back to our lives and do what we want to do. Like we were for so long. There is an actual physical reaction that happens when people become stressed. It's not something that like is woo-woo and energy like crazy. You know, I don't know. Whatever people think, (laughs) it's real. It happens within your body. There are hormones secreted that do that. That being said, this is the whole reason I wanted to do this podcast and have it be the first podcast. Because I call this the elephant in the room. Fear guilt, and the overwhelming amount of stress that we either put on ourselves or now we maybe even have imposed on us through this global pandemic um, is something that we have to work on. Before you can do anything else in your life where you're going to be healthy and vibrant, you need to work on these inner stresses. And so I can talk a little bit here about the actual physical thing that happens with stress. Um, You've probably heard of your brain and you've probably heard of your adrenal glands and your brain talks to your adrenal glands and your adrenal glands secrete um, a multitude of things, but they secrete one called cortisol. They secrete aldosterone Um, they create, they secrete DHEA and testosterone, and then they also secrete what's called norepinephrine and epinephrine. So noradrenaline and adrenaline during the stress response, whatever that is. So let's just say that this guy over here is running from the bear, right? He's, he's had an encounter with a grizzly bam, you have immediate HPA axis response, which is your brain now telling your adrenals, you need a bunch of adrenaline because you got some work to do here to either get away or I don't know, maybe the grizzly bear gets you. So you're going to have less pain while he's getting you. I mean, there's a lot of mechanisms there. That is a real true physical stress that's happened. Now let's take perceived stress. Okay, let's take emotional stress. Let's take right now, the coronavirus, the stress of what would happen if you were to get this infection. Like maybe you don't have the coronavirus or you, you have it and you're at home recovering or like whatever, but your perceived stress now is that one, um, you don't know what's going to happen. Maybe you even lost your job. So, I mean, that's definitely a a real stress and it's perceived. and, 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 um, I'll talk about how people are different in a second, but, Um, and we don't know how long we're going to be in quarantine and we all have activities we want to do and we all have events we want to go to and we all had traveling that we were supposed to do. And money we were supposed to make and bills we have to pay. And I mean, the list is just like Santa's list. It's just like, you know, it could go on. But that perceived stress is exactly the same as if you were encountered with a grizzly bear. Your body does exactly the same thing. It perceives the stress, the brain perceives the stress. It then tells the adrenals to do its job, the adrenals to create some adrenaline, noradrenaline. And then about 10 minutes or so after, you create cortisol cortisol is a, is a stress hormone and it's important because cortisol, you need cortisol to get out of bed in the morning. Um, you need cortisol to go down at night so your melatonin can go up and you can sleep. Um, but when we have these rushes of adrenaline and noradrenaline, um, we are also going to get it followed by cortisol and that's going to help give us some blood sugar, That's going to pull um, glycogen from the liver. So it's going to help us like have energy to fight the stress. And then you've probably heard of these things like uh, adrenal fatigue or adrenal failure. There's not, there's not real terms actually, um, unless you have a condition called Addison's disease, I think, which is the um, really like a real adrenal fatigue. You don't make any cortisol and that obviously you have to take cortisol for your lifetime. But there's a lot of those terms going around. I have adrenal fatigue. My um, I have adrenal burnout, um, and really the adrenals don't fatigue. You know, they're not like a woman who goes into menopause. She her ovaries, well your ovaries just burn out. They basically go to sleep. That's what I tell women. Um, adrenals aren't like that. Um, actually, when a woman goes into menopause, her adrenals kind of take over. So they secrete a little bit. Of t- they secrete her testosterone and some estrone, which is E one, and her fat cells do estrogen. So the adrenals are still working and they're still doing what they need to. It's just that these the symptoms and the amount of symptoms and the consistency of symptoms that are making your adrenals work and constantly pushing out this adrenaline and cortisol changes. How your brain and your adrenals talk to each other. And so there's lots of different things that can happen with prolonged stress. Another question I get quite often is, well, wait, aren't we built for stress? Aren't we supposed to have stress in our lives? And to that, I would say, yes, of course. Um, back to what we're built for, we are built for acute stress. So the adrenaline and cortisol response, that is for the acute stressors that we have in our life. Um, and, you know, physical activities that typically our ancestors were doing daily in order to keep food and water, etc. I mean, who knows, maybe we're going back to that now. Um, but those were kind of those chronic stressors that we had every day, but we're keeping us active, and we're keeping us engaged and that kind of thing. And so we we may not have had as much Um, Perceive stress with less work, kind of what we have now. Um, And I think those acute stressors or the stress of having to do those things each day um, challenges our brain in a different way. So today we don't have a lot of that because you can go to the grocery store and buy food and you just fill your car up with gas and you have to drive, you know, you don't have to be in a covered wagon or whatever. Um, So it makes us one more... Uh, we don't move as much. And so that can lead to these chronic diseases that are really plaguing our society right now. Um,
0: After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. See Mint Mobile for details.
1: Actually, there was a study done, and it was a really interesting study called The Study of Origin. It was done in Europe. And they were trying to decide, like, how important is stress for us and how much stress do we need and what are the factors in life that will either make us have good stress or those that will make us have bad stress, quote-unquote. And so they took... um, They took participants, uh, half men, half women, there was 55 of them, I think, and they sent them out into the wilderness and they were expected to do 14 kilometers a day of backpacking and hiking. Um, They had to clear the trails that they were hiking in the brush, they had to find their own water, they had to sleep outside in sleeping bags, Um, they didn't have tents or anything like that, and they could only have two meals a day that they prepared from their own food that they had to bring. So they had to figure out their food. They had to bring it. And they took blood samples of of these people before, and they took blood samples of the people after. Um, It was a 10-day experiment. I think there was only maybe one or two. I think one guy didn't finish. And I think that's because he was quite overweight, and he was having some knee problems or something. So they picked, like, a standard, um, like, the typical... City person who's maybe overweight, not hiking. They did not pick like people that are survivors and hunters and all that kind of stuff, mountain people. They picked just regular urban folks to do this. Um, What they found was really interesting. And what they found was that when people did their questionnaires, there was always this question of how stressed out do you feel? And typically, everybody before this event uh, they were pretty stressed. So they, um, they, they would say, I, I feel, I feel really stressed out. Then they went on this event, uh, for 10 days and they had to kind of fend for themselves. They were doing things they were not used to doing. And, uh, they became adapted to being hungry. They became adapted to maybe being thirsty once in a while. They became adapted to the elements, to temperature, um, all the things they were taking for granted before, And when they were given the questionnaire again, all of their perceived stress was lower. Even though they had just gone through something that most people would seem was really hard. Everybody, um, everybody, the feedback that everybody gave was, I feel calmer in my mind. Uh, I feel happier. I don't feel so stressed out. I'm not thinking about all these things. So this study... And then they took their blood and they looked at it again. And they found that all the factors that are leading to chronic disease today, heart disease factors, inflammatory factors, um, blood sugars, cholesterols, everything went down. And except for a few things. They had higher CRP, which is a marker of inflammation, and they had higher liver enzymes, which is also a marker of inflammation, typically, of the liver. But they deducted that it was because these people are out like, In the brush, and they're they're doing trails and stuff like that, and so they um they kind of had to fend for themselves. They were getting scratches and nicks and stuff like that. So when you get that, like if you go out and you know cut yourself here, cut yourself there, your immune system is going to kick in, and your immune system is going to create inflammation uh, acutely to take care of that. So even though the people had this, they had a little bit higher inflammatory markers. All their markers of chronic long-term stress and inflammation went down. Not only that, they felt better in their head. So if that doesn't say something too about the power of nature, the power of appropriate stress, um, the power of exercise, the power of sleep, darkness, the other thing, they were not allowed to take their cell phones. So one, they had no communication with the outside world and they had no electromagnetic frequency frequencies on their body. So part of the study also found that 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 might have been a big piece of this. Um, So really interesting study. I'll put a link um, in the show notes for you. You can check that out. But um, yeah, some stress is definitely good and we are built for it, but the perceived stress we're all under is really super out of whack. So as we talk about this, I think it's also, you know, I don't want to scare anybody, obviously, and create more fear, but I think it's good to give information about what chronic stress can do to your biochemical system and especially elevated cortisol. So we chatted about cortisol a little bit, but cortisol is that stress hormone along with the norepinephrine uh, the norepinephrine and epinephrine. Um, so here's a, just a few things that elevated cortisol can cause over time. So one is de- decreased thyroid function, which is really, really, really common. Um, It's higher in women, but I do see it more frequently in men these days, Um, and that long-term stress competes with the thyroid, and um, thyroid being off causes weight gain, hair loss, dry skin, depression, um, uh, metabolic issues. So, um, we want to try to keep our thyroid healthy. And by, by keeping the adrenals and that cortisol secretion normal, we can help our thyroid. Another reason is uh, increased prolonged stress causes more insomnia and sleep disturbance, which I've mentioned a few times here. But sleep is really important because if cortisol should be somewhat elevated in the morning, it will go up in the first 30 to 60 minutes that you're awake, and then it should kind of go down from there. And by the time you go to sleep, it should be low. So melatonin can rise. Um, but when it's chronically elevated, the cycle can flip. So people aren't getting enough melatonin secretion. They're not feeling tired or they're feeling wired, tired and wired at night. Um, another reason is it increases the chance of metabolic syndrome. Metabolic syndrome is really just the precursor to diabetes. Um, and what kind of the cardinal things that we see with metabolic syndrome is elevated um, triglycerides which is one of your lipids, um, cholesterols. Um, you're going to see uh, an elevation usually in um, blood sugar, you might see an elevation in hemoglobin A1c, Um, you might even see elevation in insulin, so moving towards insulin resistance. Um, Again, metabolic syndrome leading to diabetes, diabetes being one of these comorbidities that's um, dangerous for people, especially that are getting COVID right now. So again, we want to keep that down by keeping our stress down. And then obviously immune system depression, I mean, we're talking here about the immune system. So, immune system depression, and that chronic stress basically um, decreases our body's ability to fight the virus, fight the bacteria, um, fight microorganisms, Um, so if you've ever been really stressed out, you might notice that's when you get sick and uh, pretty common, and then another one would be depression. Um, There's different types of depression, uh, like one's called atypical, one's called melancholic, Um, usually atypical is it upregulates that HP axis in the brain and it causes you to be tired and lethargic. Um, You're kind of worse after sleeping and it worsens as the day goes on. Melancholic depression is a down regulation of the HPA axis and it's worse in the morning, you have feelings of dread, you're anxious, you don't sleep. um, And these can both be from elevated cortisol over time. And um, that elevation makes it worse and worse and worse and worse. So depression, again, you always have to think about what kind of stress is this person under? Is there an actual physical stress? Is there something wrong with them? Is it a perceived stress? Is it an emotional stress? And what I see a lot in um, my practice is definitely there's hormone dysfunction as well. When it comes to sex hormones, especially testosterone in men, estrogen in women, and testosterone in women as well. But um, having that elevated cortisol and stress all the time will make your depression greater. But whether it's, it's a real stress, like a physical stress, and whether it's a perceived stress, is that the body is doing the same thing. So as we all slowly or actually quickly started being told, okay, one, you can't be within six feet of each other. Okay. Now you can't, you, you can't shake hands. Okay. And now you got to incessantly wash your hands and now you can't touch services. Oh, and you got to wear a mask now. Oh, wait, don't wear a mask now. Uh, Okay, now um, we can't have gatherings of more than 250 people. Okay, wait, now we can't have gatherings of more than 10 people. Um, Now we're um, only allowing you to go out for essential things. And now you're in shelter in place. Don't come out of your homes. That right there is kind of this long, drawn out, but in a very short period of time. But it's kind of like your adrenals just kind of get a bump. They're getting a bump of adrenaline like every time that happens and, uh, and then cortisol. Okay. So what are the things people want to do when they have stress like this? What are the actions that they want to take? Like what's the physical reaction that they may want to have? What I see in my, um, life, let's say in my own life, what I see with myself, and then I'll tell you what I see in some other people because everyone's different. Um, my thing is like, uh okay um stress so i already run on some high adrenaline because i demand a lot of myself and uh i am kind of in a heightened state of stress a lot of the times so things that really help me are like yoga and meditation and massage oh my god i love massage i could get a massage every day my life would be like stupendous um uh I love acupuncture. I love reading books. I love painting. Um, I love working outside. I, you know, I love walking. I love hiking. I love dancing. I love all those things. Do I do all those things? No. I just stress out. And then I, you know, am freaking out and I'm not sleeping at night. And then I realize, like, okay, Hillary, you got to put the halt on this. Um, I also do my tendency is not to eat. That's my thing because I don't have an appetite when I'm stressed out. So I don't eat as much and I tend not to want to exercise. I feel kind of already stressed out and tired. So to me, exercise seems like another momentous thing that I got to do. And so my tendency is one, not to eat, not to exercise. Um, and then obviously not to sleep, which these are the pillars we're going to be talking about in this series, <laughs> and those three. Believe me, I am no not perfect at any of those. I've struggled through those without my life, but those are kind of the pillars. So that's where I suffer. Now, what do a lot of other people do? Some people, depending on who they are, well, maybe they don't stress because that's not their personality, um, and maybe they don't have the genetic propensity to stress the same way. So there are these things called Genes, and we all have them, and we all have different variances of them. So, there's one called an MAO. There's one called COMT. These help you eliminate, process norepinephrine and epinephrine, even estrogen. Um, They they help them to not circulate in your bloodstream as long, so that you can get rid of them, eliminate them, and you know. Because if you have a lot of adrenaline and norepinephrine floating around in your system, you're just more anxious. You're just that person that's like that type A anxious person who can't relax. Um, If you have a lot of methylation defects, uh, which we've talked about with Ben Lynch on one of our podcasts, um, that can wear out your COMT gene. And so, again, you carry a lot of epinephrine around and you're more anxious. So some people clear those things faster. So they have the same stress response. They realize, oh my gosh, I just lost my job. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. Um, And they have the same stress response. But their body clears the epi and the norepi more. It clears it faster. So they may not have the same stress responses like me, who's already like, I don't clear it very fast, and I'm stressed out, and that's all I think about. And then I get the hamster in the wheel, and I can't sleep at night, right? Right. Um, my personality though, and my genetics do not tend towards me going and doing exercise. It doesn't tend towards me going and drinking a bunch of alcohol. Um, my tendency is not to go eat a bunch of sugar and carbohydrate, um, and take like drugs or go gambling or go do high risk activities. Whereas pers- possibly this person who clears it, he's just not really stressed out about it, the way he may deal with it is he needs that bump of adrenaline that maybe he's not keeping around as much. So he goes out and, you know, he drinks a couple drinks. That calms him down. That helps him out. Likes high-carbohydrate foods and lots of sugar. Um, oh, let's just go gambling. Let's relieve our stress with some gambling. Uh, let's do high-risk activity. So everybody's different. And, or let's go exercise. Let's, like, just over-exercise. Let's just exercise all the time. And, uh, that helps them because that bumps up their adrenaline and it bumps that up. So everybody's different and everybody has different genetic snips and how they are using them and if they're expressing them, which is another thing. What? Just talk. Okay. All right. Have fun. (laughs) We're doing like sign language. (laughs) <laughs> our neighbors are actually my daughter's best friends their parents are deaf so all the children sign language so paley's doing a lot of that but i'm like i just tell me what you need um Okay, so anyways, that that's that can be the difference in how people, it can be totally a genetic thing. It can also be that maybe we didn't express those genes, but the more stress we have throughout our life, we turn them on, and or we're not methylating well, our CMT slows down, we become more stressful over time. And I do have patients tell me that. They're like, I used to, these things used to not bother me. They didn't, I didn't stress out about this, and they stress out about it now. So you can definitely change your biochemistry. It's called epigenetics. You, you can change how your body's working. And this is the most important reason why if we're trying to slow aging down and we're trying to help ourselves not be um, sick and dependent and um, is by changing the way we deal with perceived stress. To me, I think that's why that's the elephant in the room um is that if you're not dealing with your perceived stress and even it can even come down to you have a relationship in your life that's not healthy you're not happy um your partner's not happy or maybe your partner's oblivious and they have no idea but you're not happy um you're not communicating and that is like constant perceived stress, like your stress level is going to be higher because you're not getting what you need. There's no there's no outcome. There's no communication. Um, there's no solving a problem. And some people can go through their whole lives and be okay with that, but the majority of people don't. And that can be a stress that can really wear on people. Um, so what, what I'm getting at, I'm not sure quite what I'm getting at, But this is a time right now to really focus in on what you're afraid of. To focus in on is there guilt that you're carrying around for something? It may not even be your guilt. It may be somebody else's guilt. Maybe you have guilt for good reason. Maybe there's something that you need to work through. Um, Are you stressed out? Is your perceived stress like much higher and putting a huge burden on you? Is it putting a burden on people around you? And are you not participating in the activities that help you to relieve the stress that you absolutely need? In my case, and I always use myself as a case, partly because I'm always a work in progress. Um, I obviously don't have any problem sharing about myself. Some people do. Um, Ryan's a lot more private than me. So, you know, I just kind of use myself. <laughs> Plus, I'm not Ryan. <laughs> um, and, you know, I don't like to speak for him. But for myself, uh, when I implement the things in my life, the pillars of health in my life, in a way that um, works for me, I am much, much better. So how I take that is for me, stress reduction is one. Um, Number one is, for me, number one is sleep. You can poo-poo, sleep all you want, whatever. I don't care. This is mine and mine alone. I've spent decades of sleep deprivation. So if you want to talk to me about doing things because you got to get stuff done and you can sleep when you're dead, great. I've done it. Believe me. I've stayed up multiple nights. I've... (laughs) I have a couple kids, you know, we've all done it. Everybody, I mean, especially moms are sleep deprived for decades, decades and decades. And it's not healthy. I don't care any way around it, you go, it's not healthy. And we know the older you get, the more sleep deprivation you have, the more cardiovascular risk you have. And cardiovascular disease kills more men and women than anything. So it's like, 10 times more than cancer. And I mean, it's probably a little exaggerated, but it's a lot. So when I think of that, I think, well, it's probably pretty important to sleep. And what does that mean? What kind of quality of sleep? So I still don't get great quality of sleep. I have my Aura ring, which I don't have on right now, but um, it tracks my sleep. And sometimes I just don't wear it because that will stress me out. When I read all those facts, like I go, oh my gosh, my sleep sucks. It still sucks. And I thought I got a good night of sleep. Some people love all that information. They love details. They they love the spreadsheet. You know, they put it on their spreadsheet and then they the data helps them. I'm not necessarily one of those people. I feel like for me, it's more like how do I feel in my body and how do I feel in my brain? But sleep is my number one and we're going to have a whole separate podcast on sleep, okay? Because that is one of the pillars, um, hands down, sleep. Uh, For me, I need to eat more carbohydrate in my diet and I need to make sure that I get enough protein. Uh, I tend to not like to eat a lot of meat, but I know how good it is for me. I also know how good nutrient-dense food is. And so I've done podcasts, Ryan and I just did one recently on immunity. And that podcast, you know, we talked about nutrient-dense food. So Um, trying to eat a lot more of those in my life because they help my brain and I need that for my sleep and I need that for my work. And I need that because the way I am and the way I process adrenaline and the way my adrenals are working is that I need highly nutrient dense foods um, for that. The interesting thing too is that vitamin C helps the adrenals function better. So vitamin C is kind of essential for the adrenals. And I don't know if we talked about it in the podcast we did on immunity, but, um, people, you know, the native Eskimos, they didn't get scurvy because they ate the adrenal glands raw. Uh, they didn't know that it was vitamin C, but they knew they didn't get certain things if they ate those organs. And so vitamin C is really important for your adrenals. So right now, you know, um, yeah, you should be taking vitamin C, but you know what, you should be taking vitamin C all the time, Unless you have a pristine diet and you're getting tons of vitamin C in your diet. I always advocate diet over supplements. But yeah, everyone should be taking vitamin C all the time because we live in a toxic world. Minus like, actually our world might be less toxic (laughs) because people aren't going to work every day. Two billion people don't go to work in industrialized countries. I mean, it shuts the economy down. But boy, talk about environmentalism. There you go. Um, but that being said, you know, we live in a toxic world and you need antioxidants like vitamin C to help you recover and help you repair and help your skin be nice ladies and help your hair look good and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, interesting thing was vitamin C. So my number two would be making sure that I'm getting enough nutrient dense food. So that's good fat, good protein. And that I have to eat a little bit more carb in my life because I'm thin and I burn it off. That's my adrenaline. Um, and then, and so we're going to have a, um, we will have a, I'll do another whole podcast on diet. And we're going to talk a lot in there about dysglycemia and blood sugar control, because when you hear in the media right now, all you hear about is how the comorbidities are diabetes and cardiovascular disease. And let me tell you, dysglycemia or blood sugar problems is like rampant everywhere. Um, I even struggle with it. I tend to be hypoglycemic. So if I'm not eating consistently because I'm driven and I'm getting that shot of cortisol, uh, my blood sugars will drop and I will not feel very good. I will have symptoms that I'm like, think I'm getting sick or, you know, whatever. And it's just my blood sugar is too low. Um, So I've kind of learned the hard way with that. But we'll do a whole nother one on diet. The third one is exercise. So for me, I have to do weight resistance exercise. I got back into this weight training this year because I was going to do a competition. I'm not saying I'm not going to do a competition, but uh, the schedule was a little weird. And then this hit, and it's like, who knows what's going to happen? But we do have a weight. We have weights in our basement, thanks to Ryan, because he is kind of a hermit and doesn't like to go to gyms. So he bought a bunch of equipment years and years ago. So we have it. We don't have everything. But I I joined the gym for the workout thing, and I barely ever go. It's like because I have enough probably for what I need. So I go down in there. I work out. I lift weights. Um, I do like cardio. I think it's good to sweat. But I maybe I go for a run a couple times a week. I was running a lot. Um, but I'll lose too much weight and I'll lose lean muscle mass if I do too much cardio. So I I'm I'm lucky there, but for my brain and for the way I am and and for these things I talked about is is lifting weights to me is like it's like the best medicine, you know. And if I can lift weights every day, and I feel better that way, I don't have as much body pain. And I've talked about that in the past. I have a lot of chronic body pain. I don't have as much pain. And then I sleep better. And when I sleep better, everything's better. So to me, um, lifting weights is really important. And then I love things because of my more up in the air personality. I love yoga, um, stretching, uh, that kind of thing. And I need to do more of that in my life. I used to do a lot of it. I used to be a yoga teacher and teach 14 classes a week. So, um, But those are, to me, uh, the pillars. And so this pillar that I'm talking about today is stress. And in there is your fear. And in there is your guilt. And also in there is your love and compassion and... Um, it's, it's also, you know, it's everything about relationship with yourself. It's about relationship with others. And it's about relationship with your creator, with God, with Jesus, with whoever you, um, believe is the, is, is that mentor in your life that helps you get through. Um, this is, this is what covers all of it. And so, in this time of the coronavirus and in quarantine, just like I'm challenging myself right now, you know, I'm I'm challenging myself to to ask those deeper questions and to maybe clear out the clutter. What are the things that I'm doing that just aren't serving me now at 47 years old? Um, And how can I take more time to relax? Um, to be in nature, we're really lucky where we live. Um, I'm so glad we're not in Seattle anymore. I mean, Seattle's a beautiful place, but just we live in Montana. We live on five acres right now. We're quarantined out here. It's it's awesome. You know, we can walk for miles and miles and miles and not even see a person. Um, we have sunsets and sunrises. We get fresh air. Uh, this is very different than some of you who may be living in a metropolitan area who are stuck in your apartment and your flat. And like, I feel you there. Like I am so blessed to be where I am right now in this time. Um, and my heart really goes out to the people that aren't, but if you have the chance and you can, and you live in these areas, you know, we always talk about this, like get out in nature, be outside um, don't be afraid to be outside. That's another thing. Like you need to be outside right now. You need to have that fresh air. It's so important. And as far as pillars of health go, I mean, we won't even talk about how important fresh air and clean water and, and sunlight is. Um, we can intertwine that into all of these. If you don't have enough of those things, you know, your diet suffers, your exercise suffers, your sleep suffers and your stress um, stress level will be really high. So I'm going to continue on this series. We'll do, uh, the other three pillars, um, as, as we go through. If you have any questions and, or you have something that you would like me to do a podcast on at this time, please, uh, let me know because I have time now. And one of my goals, if we're going to define goals, One of my goals with this podcast is to help people in this community and other communities be healthier. There's no better time than right now than to take control of your health. You don't need tons of toilet paper. You don't need tons of food even. Um, you, You need skills. And those skills include understanding your body understanding the cycle of what makes you feel good and what doesn't make you feel good. Um, It includes, you know, eating the right foods when you should. It includes making sure you're moving. It includes making sure you're sleeping. And we are all under stress right now, the whole world, the entire world. So if there's anything that can make you feel better, is that the entire human race right now, is going through what you're going through. And it doesn't, nothing right now applies, meaning your skin color doesn't apply, your sex doesn't, doesn't apply, your religion doesn't apply. It's all, we're all humans. And we need to hopefully, I'm hoping we can get through this and things will be much better. And at the same time, we will understand how much, how resilient we are and that we need to depend on ourselves and others, but we, we need to look inside ourselves and be more independent as far as, you know, the government and the system and, um, consumerism and et cetera. But, um, my wishes and my, my, my stay healthy wishes uh, go out to all of you out there. I want you to know that I absolutely care about you. And like I said, my goal in this community is to continue helping you thrive and find new ways to make your life better, even in these very, very trying times. So thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, make sure if you want to support our podcast, go to our website. You can see some of our sponsors there. Who give us some discounts. Um, most of it has to do with food, food preparation. And as my final gift to you, if you're not already on our email list um, right now, today is March 26th, 2020. Um, you can go get on our email list and you will get uh, Ryan and I's Stealthy Dehydration and Canning Guide for free. Um, it is 122 pages. We did it a couple of years ago. We've talked about it numerous times, but right now this is when you need those skills. So get the book. You know, um, if you don't have an Excalibur dehydrator, you can get that on our website as well under Shop. You can get all your canning goods and your pressure cooker and all that from our Amazon page under Shop. Um, but that's our gift to you right now, so that you can take more control of your life and. I know a lot of you out there already are. I mean, I feel like in a lot of cases, I'm preaching to the choir with this community because a lot of you are self-sufficient. Your life isn't changing at all. You have meat in the freezer. You've been preparing. But remember, there are billions of people out there who don't and who aren't doing this. And instead of hoarding what we have and hoarding what we know and being afraid of those people, being in fear that they're going to come take what we have. We need to share what we know with the people around us in our communities that we live in so that everybody can benefit from this and we can stop living in fear. So. There it is. The Stealthy Hunter website and the Hunt Harvest Health podcast is for general health information only. This podcast is not to be used as substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment of any health condition or problem. Any questions regarding your own health should be addressed to your own primary care physician or other health care provider.